Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hello, welcome to Jules Says. Thank you so much for being here. I'm Julie, mom, grandmother. All opinions and perspectives on Jules Says are mine or those of a guest. And today's your lucky day because I have a very special guest. None other than the beautiful, talented, very funny Heidi Brander. Heidi is an award-winning writer for some of CBC's most popular comedy series, some of which we will mention during the chat, and I'll include references in the episode notes. She has also written for non-CBC comedy shows. Yes, Heidi is Canadian, but she is currently based in L.A. She is a stand-up comedian who's performed all over the U.S. and Canada. And as if that isn't impressive enough, Heidi is a master of musical parody, a member of the Cheeto Girls. She's a highly acclaimed news correspondent. But perhaps the greatest coup, her piece de resistance, is her first place win over Ryan Gosling in a childhood lip sync competition. Please welcome Heidi Brander. Hello, Heidi. Thank you so much for being on Jewel Says. I'm so happy you're here. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. And we're doing this in person in my closet. <gasps> yeah, we're real squished up tight in the closet. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I normally do Zoom. And since Heidi is based in L.A., that was my original plan. But she happens to be in Toronto. So yeah. welcome, welcome. Thank you. We just went for sushi. It was really mm, nice. It was yeah, great. caught up. I invited Heidi because I... I've recently been talking about reality TV versus sitcoms, and I really appreciate a well-written sitcom (laughs) so much. And Heidi is one of my favorite writers. She's brilliant. She's worked on a lot of projects. So I thought it would be fun to talk to you about 
how you got to be a writer, what it's like working as a writer, some of the pitfalls, anything. Oh, how how lo- did you even start doing it? Gosh, I mean, I've always wanted to be a writer, and I didn't actually end up getting any gigs until I started doing stand-up comedy, ironically, because like I, I had like a few years where I um, would just like write stuff, send it to agents. Um, no one ever wants to read anything I've discovered because, like, you know, you can write something and be super excited about it and like send it out to like an agent or a manager, and like unless you've kind of proven yourself already, no one ever wants to read a thirty-page script no matter what so like no one would ever read them then once I started doing stand-up I remember I got approached by someone to submit for MTV live and then I sent in a package and then um, I got hired off my package. What, and th- what was in that? What do you put in a package? Oh, MTV Live was like a lot of dick jokes. So basically, <laughs> like you kind of have to watch the show that you're submitting for and um, just kind of like try to copy the style of the, the show. So like for like, I don't know, I worked on 22 Minutes and I submitted a package to get that job. And that's all, like a lot of like political jokes. MTV Live was very like, um, they just had a bunch of, they had a lot of games and there, it was a lot of like penis humor. So I would just, I wrote all my best dick jokes and then I. Everybody loves a dick joke. Yeah. And like, I'm very good at them, I realize. <laughs> and like, it was all blind submissions. So like, one of the best stories I have from that time was just they didn't realize that until they looked at my name that I was a woman writing these incredible dick jokes. <laughs> so they're like, oh yeah, this dude's hilarious. And then they look and it's like Heidi Brander and they're like, oh, okay, well, even better. <laughs> well, that's good. And it's interesting that you mentioned the blindness of that submission because it would not surprise me if they had seen the name first, if they would read no further. A lot of the stuff that I've gotten hired off of, I think 22 Minutes does, or at least they did, they used to do blind submissions too. So, which I love because, you know, like when you're coming up as like a woman and I mean, this would have been like 2012, 2013, like a lot of stand-up comedian dudes would be like, oh, you got that job? Well, I guess they needed a chick. And um, mm. and then uh, I would be like, no, like they didn't know it was me. Like, you know what I mean? Like they didn't know it was a girl. So I, I love that I got picked for these jobs based on, like not based on my gender, but because I'm really good at writing dick jokes. Yes. Congratulations. So the contents of a package for submission is just writing for the style. Is there a certain format to it? So, yeah. um, I mean, gosh, like MTV would have been, they just had a bunch of games that they constantly played. Like it would be kind of like a, they had like a would you rather sort of game. So you just write fake questions for that. Whereas like some, I still know the the guidelines of the package at 22. It's basically like you write 10 to 15 desk jokes, which are just those kind of like one liner jokes based on like news stories of the day. And then you write two or three sketches or like two sketches and like one monologue that like a character would do. So, so yeah, like you just kind of submit that stuff. And uh, one of the big things that I've learned is just a lot of people that are submitting material don't actually watch the show. So when people ask me for advice, my number one word of advice I give is like, watch the show that you're submitting for because so many people don't do it, which is a weird thing you have to tell people. But yeah, like you're really you're not trying to like showcase your sense of humor. You're trying to copy the show's voice as much as possible. So will they take 
random submissions or do you have to be invited? And then if you're invited, do they give you the outline of what to include in the package? Yeah. So um, you know, you don't have to be invited, but you it's just kind of like this weird secret club where you like you need the person's email address that you submit for. So oh. like once you I mean, anyone can like email me and ask me for the email address and I'll let you know. But you just you just need to know whether through an agent or just through a friend how to submit for and like you know that's just for 22 minutes but for other shows you'll get submitted through an agent or something like that so if you don't have an agent and you're an aspiring writer you have to get an agent or is there anything you can do well i mean i when i started doing stand-up comedy you kind of would hear through other comedians oh you email like i don't know like bob mcdonald at gmail.com like you just kind of there's like channels that you can find out this stuff. It is and don't use Bob McDonald know. at gmail.com. <laughs> that's a, that's a that fake. is fake. <laughs> Poor Bob. There's a Bob McDonald out there. Oh my god, I would hate to be Bob <laughs> McDonald right now. Um yeah, it's like oh, it's it's so hard to like figure out how to do it if you're aspiring but you're not uh you don't have an agent or a manager or anything like that yet but there are ways I, that's why i just tell everyone like do stand up meet comedians meet other writers like ask around because uh yeah it's not really like a job where you can apply for on like kijiji or anything like that you kind of have to know someone or at least have a connection of some sort i guess mm-hmm. and it's it is honestly like kind of a way to like vet people like if they're serious about it or not because there are oh, god i mean because if you're at least doing stand-up comedy, that means that you're serious about comedy, that you're, like, trying to meet people and get to... But, like, every job is just kind of networking, you know? Mm-hmm. And it is a business. Mm-hmm. So you submitted this package for this MTV show. Yeah. <laughs> and then? Um, yeah, then they hired me. It was a bit of a slog at first because I was trying to keep my day job while also working on this other show. Like, so I kind of... I took a lot of my vacation time from my day job and then, like, did a week-long trial at this uh, MTV show. And, oh, God, what a a journey because I uh, ended up getting the job. And then that day they had massive layoffs. So I had actually been offered the job. And then literally in the afternoon, they were like, oh, um, we have to take that job offer back because we just found out that we have to, like, lay off a whole lot of people. So then that was really devastating. I didn't hear back from them for, like, a year. And I just kind of thought the dream was dead. And then, like, a year later, they were like, okay, we have money again. We can, like, hire you. (laughs) So I ended up getting rehired. And then, then the show got canceled. And then, yeah, later on, I got the job at 22 Minutes, and I worked there for, like, eight years. (laughs) Wow. How did you get the job at 22 Minutes? I just, I did a package. I got a trial. So you do, like, a three-week-long trial, and you just, like, hustle as hard as you possibly can. I was very competitive. Like, I remember they'd hired another guy who's now one of my best friends, like, at the same time as me. But I was like, I need to destroy him. (laughs) Um, So I was like, I know that they can only keep one of us. So I, like, really need to, like, destroy this guy. Just wrote all my best stuff, worked my ass off for, like, two or three weeks. And then they ended up keeping both of us. So it was great. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And then, like, all the rest of the jobs I've gotten have just kind of been from 22. So, like, I was made friends with this woman, Meredith McNeil, who, and she started Baroness Von Sketch Show. So when she started that, she was like, oh, I'll, 
you know, hire Heidi, and then um, Mark Critch got his show, Son of a Critch, and then uh, so he worked on 22, and he hired me for that. And so it's just really like making connections and uh, proving that you can write. Yeah. So, yeah. I assume there's, um, I mean, when we see about writers, say if you're a 30 Rock fan, and if you're not, why not? Please watch it. (laughs) The writer's room looks like... There's pressure, there's teeth gnashing, but then there's also a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Any any inside scoop on what it's like to be in the writer's room? It's, like, honestly so much like 30 Rock, it's crazy. Like, they really nailed what it's like to be in a writer's room because, like, everyone's just, like, obsessed with lunch. You know, like, it's just a bunch of people, like, shooting the shit, you know, complaining about stuff, but then also, like, riffing around to, like, see who can build on someone else's idea and then there's also like a lot of like a lot of stuff is done like independently so there's elements of it that are like some people are I would say I'm probably actually better at writing alone but I mean the writer's room is very fun and you can really find a lot of people that will help you like build on stuff so um Oh, gosh, I'm trying to think of crazy. There's always just, like, some sort of drama, like someone's mad about something. (laughs) Or, you know, there's always maybe, like, a a person or two that, like, doesn't fit in. And you're kind of like, oh, you... There's always someone in the room that comes from a very, like smart person student background and is, and is trying really hard and you have to be like this isn't like working at a bank this isn't like working at school you can just relax a bit so yeah it's like really learning just to be like, like the stakes could not be lower like things are very relaxed so like just relax and try to learn as you go it seems to me that the stakes would be high. I mean, I, of course, watching 30 Rock, we, we often watch things and we envision ourselves in those situations. And I feel as though I don't think I would come up with anything funny on my own. I don't think I'm naturally funny. But I think if I'm in a room with people who are funny, I, I think I would come up with stuff then, just kind of yeah. joking around. I think a really fun experience, maybe maybe there could be a contest or a lottery where spend two days in a writer's room with these writers. I think that would be a really fun experience. Oh, my God. That's so funny. That would be like the worst prize ever. You'd be like, oh, God, can I get something else? No, but it would be, I think it would be a really exciting prize for certain people because I just think it looks like such a great place to be. Believe it or not, being in some of the work rooms in an IT project I mean, the people aren't as funny in IT, but some of them are pretty funny. And you bounce things off each other and you think of things that you wouldn't have thought of on your own. Are you expected, though, to show up in the writer's room with some stuff that you wrote on your own? Yeah, I mean, it's a bit of a mix. And it depends on the room, too, because I'm mostly thinking about 22 because that's where I had most of my sort of work experience. But um it's you always are expected to come in with ideas for like pitches on topical news things that have happened. Um, so you you're expected to like read the news and come in with some ideas. But sometimes I've come in with an idea and I've pitched it, and someone else will riff on something from the same sort of news story, but it's a completely different angle than I would have had on it. And I'm like, oh wow, like yeah, that's awesome. Like let's collaborate on that, so we'll end up like writing something together. Whereas, like, I don't know, um, I'm I'm thinking about, like, writing on Son of a Critch. That's that's based on Mark Critch's life. So he comes in and 
all the ideas or stories from his book and his life. So it's not really about pitching him. Like, you can't really, like, make up details about how he grew up. So he's just kind of, you know, feeding us the stories. And then it's up to us just to kind of put them on paper in an interesting way that mirrors his voice. So that's something where you're very much trying to copy his sense of humor um, and not go too far off the deep end. Whereas uh, with something like 22, there's been some, like, I've written some pretty insane sketches for 22 mm-hmm. that... Uh, and you've been on camera in 22. Yeah, yeah. that was that was fun. My yeah. little acting, acting yeah. attempts. Gosh, yeah. But writer's rooms are all completely different. And then, like, something like Baroness, I remember it was very, like vulnerable because it was a lot of women telling stories about their life and like sometimes it would like delve into like really like dark territory because i love that show too oh my god yeah and like some of the funniest sketches that they've had are from you know i'd be in the room when like they kind of discover this angle on like i don't know like rape kits or something that were like that's exactly what i was thinking yeah the rape kit episode yeah so like that was like a really interesting room to be in because you i think like someone just coming in for a day wouldn't really work because people wouldn't have been able to be as like vulnerable but Mm. you really like get to talking and discover a lot of really crazy common ground that people have. Yes, and I love that they... I I really appreciate when someone is able to take something that's painful, sad, dark, terrifying, and turn that into something funny. Yeah, that's actually like my favorite kind of comedy is just like really dark comedy. Yeah, I agree, because I think it's also an outlet to open up people to discussion and thinking about subjects that are potentially taboo in yeah. any other context. But it does get people thinking. Oh my gosh, totally. And, you know, like a, a lot of people love emailing CBC and like complaining about sketches and stuff. But yeah. um, I did find on that show, like we really dealt with like a lot of like really kind of controversial topics, but it would, they, the way they handled it was in such a great way that it would kind of not get any complaints. Oh, really? Yeah. So this was Baroness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe it's their audience, too. Yeah, and they were just really careful with the way that they wrote stuff. I mean, everything was kind of really refined over the course of a season, whereas like something like 22, it's like, okay, we have a show next week. We have to like do this as quickly as possible, mm. and you don't really have time to like refine premises and stuff where Baroness, they would really, really take the time to, like, tweak sketches and, like, rewrite, rewrite, rewrite and, like, make sure everything was, like, perfect because they just had the time to. Yeah, that makes a difference, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. And especially with 22 Minutes, it's very topical news. Yeah. So this is this week and next week is next week and we have to move on. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, if if it's not good, well, it's going anyway because we don't have time to change it. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So what are you working on now? Oh, so I just finished writing a movie, a feature, um, which was like really crazy to do because I always thought like I've come from a sketch comedy background and I was like, oh, I can't write a movie. It's like too long. Oh. And then my first draft was 154 pages, which is a two and a half hour long comedy. So I've just been like slowly editing it down. I think I have it down to like 120 now, which is like still too long. But uh, I had no idea I had it in me to like write something that long. <laughs> did you write it all yourself? Yeah. How did you do it? Oh, God. Like I, I had a idea and every I just kind of, you know, threw around the idea, like making sure that people thought it was a good idea first because you don't want to waste your time on something that's a bad idea. Then I just like did this like very elaborate outline and then you just kind of it just it's basically like doing a little sculpture like you're just kind of like molding and like you know adding 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 and then like taking away and reading it out loud and seeing what works and seeing what doesn't so it it took me a really long time but it's in a good spot right now so like maybe one day I'll show somebody <laughs> oh god I'd love that I'd love that I'd love to be a part of it even if you um let me help with props oh my god yeah yeah because I just love everything about the process it's I'm not someone who is desperate to be on camera the only reason I even want to act is because I just want to pretend I'm someone else but <laughs> I love everything about the whole process I yeah I mean I hope that it gets made like I'm not someone one that's going to write something just as stuff in a drawer. Like I am kind of like, okay, now what's the next step? Now how do I get the money to get this made? Mm. But uh, I don't know. I'm going to work my ass off to see if I can do it. So speaking of how do you get the money to get this made, where do you even start? I mean, I don't even know. Like I, I've been learning a lot just about the the process around that because for for a TV show like God, I don't even know how you do that. But um, the way that my career has kind of happened is that I've just become like this writer for hire where you're like, oh, yeah, here's a show. Um, do you want to write on it? Sure. But I've been learning a lot from like there's a really great team of producers in PEI that have been kind of like I've been working with them and you really can see kind of through the, the independent producer lane people that are really they'll write something and they're really passionate about it and then they'll just find the money like they'll go to like telefilm or like these like little government grant buckets and like just piece together um, the money that they need and they'll just like make it themselves and it's like really cool to see so now I'm like oh maybe I can do something like that Um, so do you know some of these people 
Yeah, I mean, my sister works for, like, the PEI government in trying to get people to come to Prince Edward Island to, like, make stuff. So my movie is set in Prince Edward Island. Mm. So, yeah, trying to take advantage of my nepotism to yes. maybe get some money from the government. Well, and also your, <laughs> your personal... Yeah. You lived in PEI for at least the latter part of your adolescence. Yeah, and it's like a teen comedy set in Prince Edward Island in the 90s, which is right up my alley. Well, yeah, you write what you know. That exactly. makes sense. But yeah, like, I... It's really been like a mind I don't know I don't know how to describe it but like I it's a way different way of thinking from just kind of like getting a job and working on the job because I've never made anything that is my own before I've only done other people's projects so this is like the first time I'm kind of taking a stab at making something that's like this is the Heidi Brander show that's fantastic. Yeah. Well, you know you wrote it that's the first step. Well I, yeah. <laughs> you know I've been talking about writing a play uh, and I've got an outline and I've started and then I just stall and I start working on other things like I haven't done it. Now, my goal is to write a one act that I could maybe produce for very little money in a fringe festival. Oh, my God. That'd be amazing. Very different from a movie. But it's a slog. Yeah. I mean, congratulations for just writing it. Holy cow. I didn't know you'd written an actual movie. If anyone wants to invest in producing this 90s era teen film in Prince Edward Island? Yeah, I mean, I'll talk about it if you want. Like, I I like the angle of the story. It's basically about, because um, PEI, this is the thing I'm very passionate about, they didn't have abortion access until 2016, which is, like, very, very late. So when I was younger, I would, like, kind of see people in my class, and I'd be like, oh, like, well, there's a lot of pregnant teens around this high school. So I set it in the 90s because that was just before there's a bridge that was built in 1997. So I wanted to have it predate when the bridge was built. And so it's about these two teens and one of them needs to get an abortion and they have to steal a boat and row to New Brunswick to get oh an abortion. God. So it's like a road trip comedy, but with like a canoe. Uh, and a really important message. Exactly. And, like, I really tried to challenge myself, and I think it's, like, really funny, but it's also, like, I'm hoping it's not too, like, flippant about abortion. But well, um, I'm sure it isn't. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Anyway, so that was, like, really fun to do, just to make something that's, like, 100% in my voice and, like, not for someone else. Oh and uh, Yeah. I'd love to read it. <laughs> anyway. Oh, my God, yeah, if yeah. you want to. I mean, I'm still trying to, like, whittle it down because going back to my point at the beginning where I was like, no one likes to read stuff. My sister, for instance, like, begged me to write this movie. And then um, I did it and I gave it to her and she's like, okay, I'll read it later. Because it's like, it's a big stack of pages and it takes a long time to read something like that. I had the opportunity to do a read-through yeah. with you on a TV sitcom pilot that you wrote. Yeah. And I loved doing that. I even just loved doing the read-through. I oh love it gosh. all. Oh my gosh. It was so good, too. You were so good. And, like, that was such a fun day. Yeah, I wrote a pilot um, about, like, a woman who, her it's a bit dark, her husband dies, and then she decides that she's going to try to follow her dreams and... Uh, become move to Hollywood and become an actress and stuff. And uh, Julie read the lead, and she was so good. And I did try to pitch it around. I might try to dust it off. I think the writer strike really put oh, a yeah because it was right around that time, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, it really kind of ground things to a halt. But I'm, I'm going to dust it off and try again. I hope you do. You never know. And you've probably written other things. I mean, you never write anything to put it in a drawer. But unfortunately, the nature of the beast, I think in any artistic career, 
you really have to hang in there and hustle, hustle, hustle because yeah. it isn't just going to magically happen. No. And I mean, even if you write something and it doesn't get produced, you can – like it's good to have it as like a writing sample because – you know, I, there's one pilot I wrote. It's about um, it's like a guy who was in a boy band who has all these like fan girls, and then, then he starts a cult. All of his followers are like girls that are like, "Oh my god, I love you!" Um, so it was. It's not something that's going to easily be produced, but it got me like a lot of jobs just because people really like the script. Yeah, how, I mean, <laughs> how do cult leaders start their cults? Exactly. Sure, it could be that. So. You need to keep at it because we were talking earlier before we started recording about people who are, for example, musicians. Yeah. Who, well, I don't want to do weddings and I don't want to do bar mitzvahs and I don't want to play in that cafe as a duo. Yeah, like that's below me. Yeah, that's beneath you. Uh, Excuse me. I cleaned offices and worked full time when I was expecting my baby. I waitressed part time so that my children wouldn't graduate university with, with debt. Yeah, It's sort of like, do those things or bartend or something, but you never know who, where you're going to meet someone who makes a difference. Like, I, I just think it's so important. If you have a dream, you have to be willing to hustle. And some people call it selling your soul, but, <laughs> but it's not. I mean, it's a means to an end. I think the more you do in your field, whether that's writing or music or dance or whatever it is, the better you get at it, even if you're doing the stuff that isn't maybe your dream. Well, I mean, I'm thinking specifically about, and, you know, this might sound like I'm dragging 22 Minutes a bit, which I'm not trying to do, because I that's one of my favorite shows I've ever worked on. But I remember talking to this friend at this party, and he came up to me. He hadn't written a thing in his life. And he came up to me and he was like, you write on Baroness. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, I want to write on Baroness. How do I write on Baroness? And I was like, uh, and like, he's my friend. So I was like, okay, like, I could like try to help you get a package to them. But you know what would be the first step would be like, you should actually like try to write for 22 because like they're really great about hiring new people that don't have any experience at all. Like if they like your package, you could easily get a job there. Whereas like Baroness was kind of like, they were hiring more people that they knew or that had experience. And he was like, no, I want to write on Baroness. I don't want to write on 22. Mm. And I was like, dude, like you're being picky. You've never written anything. Like it was kind of, okay. it's crazy how some people will just be like, no, I don't want to. It's like, do you want to write or not? It, it would be like being an actor and being like, oh, I want to be on like a uh, Law and Order. It's like, well, do you want to do a play first? No. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's just crazy. Because, you know, I, I will act in student films. I will act in anything that you want me to act. I don't even need to act in it. Let me do your table read. I just really love it. And I love reading. I love the whole process. Yeah. If you want something in the field, you have to be willing to just do whatever. How else are you going to connect with people, learn something, meet people? Yeah, exactly. Get and on I, set. Yeah. And I've done courses on documentary filmmaking. I've done courses on general filmmaking just because I feel like if I want to be involved in that industry at all, and sure, I can't do it for a living, but if I want to do it, I'd like to learn all the other areas, at least have an understanding of what people have to go through to do this. Yeah, and it's all very fun. Like, I just ended up in the writing field, but I'm like, sometimes I look at what props are doing, and I'm like, oh my God, that looks so fun. <laughs> yeah. I've known you, Heidi, for a long time. Yeah. The first time I think 
I met you was I saw you on stage. Oh my god, bitch salad in bitch salad. <laughs> yes, you were the news correspondent. Oh, my favorite gig of all time. <gasps> I iconic. Loved it. It was. <laughs> it was and is and remains iconic. The correspondent is so good. My little slide whistle after every joke. It was great. Heidi would come on stage wearing a desk. <laughs> Which I still could make in my sleep. I was talking to this with Brooke last night. Like She's like, can you still make one of those desks? And I was like, yes. In yes. a second, I could it's do a that. Great, it was great. And she would come on and do news with all these puns. And I love a pun. That's <laughs> so stupid. <laughs> That's so clever. And I, I've always said that you cannot be a good comedian unless you can write. I think mm. a lot of people think, oh, I'm really funny at parties. I should be a comedian. Really? Well, you might be the life of the party, but get up on stage in front of a bunch of people. The people well, yeah. who are the best are people who can write. I think Catherine's a great writer. She's amazing. Oh, uh, my gosh. Her book? Mwah. Oh, yeah. You read her book. You should write a memoir. Oh, God. I have nothing to memoir. No one would care. <laughs> well, <laughs> I would read it. Thank you. Oh, my God. i get you to do the audiobook for it, for sure. <laughs> now you have to do your own voice for that. <laughs> I mean, I'll produce the audiobook for you. Yes. So did you go to university to learn to write? How Ooh. did you go into that? Was this your goal? I mean, I've always, like, this sounds completely crazy, but when I was a kid, I would literally, like, put myself to sleep because I would, like, have trouble sleeping. And then I would, like, put myself to sleep by thinking of alternate endings to my favorite TV shows. And, like, that would kind of make me fall asleep. So it's that sounds incredibly messed up. But, like, that's how I was like, oh, I think I want to be a TV writer. And this was when I was 10. Wow. So I always, always knew that I wanted to do this, but... You know, then I went to university for, and I was like obsessed with Saturday Night Live and all that stuff that kids tend to be obsessed with. And then, um, then I went to university f- for film, but I didn't learn anything. It was crazy. It was like what? writing essays about rebel without a cause and stuff. And like it was, it was a lot of like film theory. So not um, practical stuff. No, because I went to Queens, and I didn't realize when I got into the program that like it wasn't anything. Technical. I think I made like a short in like my fourth year, but it was very terrible because there was not really a lot of instruction. Like, I don't know how to describe it, but it was just, it was basically like I could have learned more by just buying a video camera. But I met the thing about university is like I met a ton of people. Like, that's where I met Andrew. That's where I met a lot of my friends that work in the film industry now that I still keep in touch with. So, like, university is just all about like making connections. Well, yeah. And this is why I was. we were talking earlier about some kids who've gone to Randolph. Mm-hmm, yeah. Because the profs at Randolph, it's not necessarily the biggest performing arts school. It's not necessarily the most renowned. But the profs at Randolph are all in the industry. And so you can at least make some connections there, too. Yeah. And it's in Toronto, which is like where everything happens. Like if you went to like theater school in like, I don't know, Guelph, not to like shit on Guelph but like no I don't I don't think you'd have the same kind of experience as you would being in Toronto getting to go out and like see theater in Toronto and like you know meeting people that could potentially one day be like casting agents and stuff so yeah like honestly like a lot of 
the way I've been able to like build my career has just been by like knowing people that went to Queens or people that are friends of people that I went to Queens with. And it's just this like big network of like, it's all about like knowing people, unfortunately. <laughs> but I, I think that's true in a lot of businesses and yeah. industries. And I think people lose sight of that. Mm-hmm. They think, well, I'm really talented and I'm good. I should just be able to get this somehow. How do I get it? Even in the IT industry, it's who you know. I mean, the only way I get jobs now is people say, oh, I've worked with Julie. We're guaranteed you're going to succeed if you hire her. And then they hire me. Yeah. And like to speak to what you just said, I think that it's kind of like an actor mentality to be like, you know what? I'm really talented and I'm going to go for this. But all the writers I've met have been like, I'm terrible. (laughs) So like I feel like writers are like very self-deprecating. And if there's someone that comes into a writer's room that is super confident, everyone is just completely turned off. So that's kind of an interesting vibe that I forgot to mention in a writer's room. Don't have too much confidence when you're pitching because people will be like, what's wrong with you? Like, it's very normal to be completely paralyzed with fear. Oh, that's normal. Yeah. (laughs) That's good to know because I think most of us are paralyzed with fear and we worry that that's going to read negatively. Well, yeah. And I talk to tons of people who like before their first day will be like, I'm so nervous. And like, what if my pitch is bad? Everyone's pitch is bad. Everyone struggles with just uh, having any sort of confidence. It's just, you know, I do think it's probably different with stand-ups and actors, but writers by definition are just like incredibly neurotic. Mm Mm-hmm. So one of the jobs you had, or titles you had, correct me if I'm wrong, you were a showrunner for 22 Minutes. No, um, I was the, oh gosh, I was a supervising producer. So like there's, title stuff is kind of strange because the showrunner is the executive producer and I was a supervising producer. So I was like kind of like a notch above the head writer. So I would basically have to help out with all the head writing duties, but then also kind of like go around to different departments and um, talk about, kind of translate the scripts to them because at that point I knew enough about like costumes and props and all this stuff. So it was kind of like, it was like being the showrunner, but without all the boring stuff that he had to do. What's the what's the boring stuff oh, that a showrunner would have to do? Oh God, like but like dealing with like budgets and money and all that stuff. Yeah. So oh, you didn't have kind to of, worry about that. No, he was very nice. I mean, it was kind of a new position that I kind of created because I I felt like I'd been doing the head writer job for like enough time, and I just wanted to learn. I wanted to learn what like a producer does. So he was very nice and like kind of created this position for me but like to give me more responsibility but also learn what it's like to be a producer but I got basically got to like kind of pick and choose what I didn't want to be involved in which was I'm like oh money like I don't need to know about that the other thing Heidi and I chatted about was money yeah oh my god I'm so bad with money I was talking to Julie but like all the garbage I've just spent my money on no but when we were young I yeah. was always even at 18 I was very fastidious about my budget and reconciling my bank account, which is very un eighteen year old. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas Heidi had the guts. I mean, I just had like a dumb dad who would be like, "Here's a credit card," and I was like, "Cool." And I, I just used the credit card like loosey goosey, wow. and like probably gave him an ulcer, but uh, he's never talked about it. So, well, that's good. thanks, Dad. <laughs> you know, and you went through it, but then yeah. you also went to Europe. You've had a lot of exciting experiences. Yeah, exciting dumb experiences, but oh. they're not dumb. Like I feel like somewhere there's a happy medium. 
you know, you want to be safe and you want to be somewhat responsible, mm-hmm. but you also don't want to be paralyzed by fear to the point where you miss out on things. I wish I had experienced more exciting things like you did. I'm kind of jealous, but not in a mean way. Oh my gosh, don't be jealous though, because like it's it's like every single time I've tried to be responsible it's kind of ended badly. So, like, the times I've actually had success have been because I just kind of, like, I don't know, just did something risky. Um, So you can't be too afraid to take risks. Although I was just saying, like, now that I'm getting older, I'm, like, paralyzed with fear overtaking any sort of risk. Yeah. Yeah. Somewhere in there, I think, is a happy medium. Yeah. But you are currently based in L.A. Yes, that is. What am I talking about? That is a risk. How did No, but how did that all come about? Because you were gainfully employed on a Canadian show. Yeah, I mean, I do have the kind of mentality where I um, always want more than I have. And sometimes I should just kind of be like, you know what? This is good. I'm following my dreams. I'm a writer. Like, it's enough. But I don't know. I just, I always thought that, I mean, I'm like, I'm single. I don't have kids. I didn't own a house. I didn't really have anything like holding me back. So I was just, I think I'm gonna live the rest of my life being like, what would have happened if I'd gone to LA, if I don't go to LA? So I just was like, let's do it. And then, you know, Andrew was moving there around the same time. So it was like, well, let's do this, bud. Let's go for it. Yeah. And you know what I always say? We very rarely regret the things in life we do we do regret the things in life we didn't do. Yeah, totally. So I think it's important to try things. And I think if you're pursuing any career, I mean, you can pursue a career in IT. If you're reasonably good at it, you're guaranteed to earn a reasonably decent living. But if you want to pursue a career in the arts, I think you should start when you don't have a mortgage, you don't have children. Ideally, I'm not saying you can't do it after you have those things. But if all you have to worry about is yourself, I think it's just way easier to do something that's very challenging and not necessarily a guarantee. Yeah. And I mean, like for some people, it's their dream to like have kids and like own a house. Like those are like very valid dreams. My dream was just kind of, oh, I want to see how far I can take this making up shit in my head dream. <laughs> that's great. Was your getting into stand-up a means to an end to try and get writing? Or did you just, you were hanging around with a lot of comedians and you just wanted to do it? Or Oh, gosh. I mean, it was 100% Andrew. Like, I don't think I ever would have done it without him, like, making me. Because uh, it was a perfect kind of process. Because I'm very, like, writerly. Like, I'm very in my head and very scripted. Even when I do stand-up, I'm literally memorizing everything. And I'm not very off the cuff. So he was kind of oh, why don't you do something at Bitch Salad that's not necessarily stand-up, but, like, that's where we came up with the news correspondent thing. It was kind of like a weekend update on Bitch Salad thing. And then doing that and, like, getting laughs and stuff, I was, oh, okay, like, now I want to do stand-up. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But it was, like, a really good way to just start. I bought your album on MP3 no! back in the day. No! Oh, my God! Yes. Well, big shiny jokes. But I purchased it legit, Aww. fair and square, because I think people should not be pirating artistic work. We need to just pay for our content. That's so nice. So Thanks for buying it. I have that on MP3 on my, my little rectangle. I think I'm going to try to record another album this year because I have enough material. I just haven't, like, figured out the dates yet. So, like, oh. one day I will have an album soon that is not from 2016. Well, it, I mean, <laughs> these things take time. So how are you finding L.A.? I mean, the writer's strike happens. Yeah. That was shit. Well, that's kind of it because the summer that I did move there, I was like, this place 
is heaven on earth. I had the best time. I loved it so much. Then immediately it was like pandemic. So I like basically didn't live there for two years. I went back to 22, even though I was planning on leaving. It was really nice to have that during the pandemic because it kind of kept some sort of stability in my life. And then there was the Atlantic bubble where it wasn't as affected as Ontario was. But um, so, yeah, then was there for two years and then moved back. And then immediately the writer's strike happened. So I feel like I still haven't experienced normal L.A. That's the next chapter. Exactly. And you're going to pitch that sitcom. Yeah. Yes. I'm so excited. I hope (laughs) it goes well. So too. Anything you'd like to leave people with who aspire to a career in the writer's room or as writers? Well, I mean, I don't know how to speak to anything with drama. Like, I don't think I could ever write, like, a a drama. Although, I mean, maybe one day. But um, anytime anyone talks to me about, like, getting into comedy writing, like, I'm like, do stand-up, get on stage, do sketch, do something. Because, again, back to what I was saying at the beginning, no one wants to read anything. Like, no agents, no managers want to read your script. They just want you to like go on stage, show that you're funny, and then they'll hire you for something because people are lazy. Well, I want to read your script, but I I can't get it produced anywhere. So there's no, (laughs) no benefit to that. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was fun. So excited to have you. We're going to sign off now and we're going to pour another little glass of wine and hopefully we get Heidi back. With some other news, she has. When you're starring in my movie, get me back and we'll talk about it. (laughs) When I'm the props lady in your movie, I'll be happy to be the props lady. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. In case you haven't seen some of the shows Heidi's worked on, check the episode notes. I'll have some links there. And if you have anything you'd like to share with me, you can email me at jewelsays at gmail.com. I'll be back next week. 